This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels. This is another episode of the 3D Pod. And I'm here, as always, with Maxwell Bogue. Hey, Joris. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Max. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. Who do we have on the pod today? Uh, well, today uh, we've got Nadav Goshen on the, the 3D pod, and Nadav is the CEO of MakerBot. And before that, Nadav had a bunch of executive roles, CEO kind of roles in uh, leadership type roles in private equity companies, technology companies. He took one public and uh, another one led to an acquisition, that kind of thing. And um, he's now using all that experience to uh, yeah, lead MakerBot. So welcome uh, to the 3D pod, Nadav. Thank you, and happy to be here. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. I got, so, so it's real, so nice to have you. I was just gonna say, MakerBot is such a, a a well. It's like the most well-known brand. I feel like to the public of additive manufacturing. Um, when when did you take over as leadership of MakerBot? I took over like four years ago. And you know, and you're right. MakerBot is like the poster child of 3D printing, and it comes with the you know perks and the, some challenges. <laughs> I'm happy to tell you all about that. But I came, you know, probably a year or two years after the hype was uh, kind of uh, ended. Uh, and what was, was this I... your first role in additive, at an additive manufacturing company, or had you been exposed to 3D printing beforehand? No, I was. I was. I was uh, an advisor to the board of Stratasys uh, many years prior. So I knew 3D printing uh, before joining MakerBot. But most of my uh, career was leading software and technology companies, um, and none were hardware. So I come with the background of uh, you know software development, and and I think part of the changes that I made in MakerBot was building and incorporating such a you know different mindset into hardware uh, business. And what were the challenges like when you came to MakerBot? When you are in, you know when you're in the hype. Um, it's very hard to understand the core, what's important. And for me, it's always about a product to market fit. Uh, if I ran a lot of product companies. The first and the most important thing is market and product fit. And, and I think when you are kind of intoxicated by the hype, it's very hard to understand, specifically for new technologies, what's the needs of and and how do you fill them uh, with your product and i think when i came to MakerBot, that was a big gap because it was a promise uh, a huge promise an innovative promise but it didn't translate into real product and the main change we made in MakerBot was to really transform that i would say novel uh, into a product and and someone told me there is a big difference between uh, innovation and invention and, you know inventions take the innovations and make them usable by others so i think that's what we did and and is your market is like make roots are very much in the open source community i mean they they well, okay there's no way around this right i mean MakerBot was like a, the beloved brand it was a really big brand in the open source community they kind of there's a big problem there where MakerBot kind of essentially turned its back on that community and then it was kind of left kind of 
well, you're talking about product market fit, but then it kind of was left without a community and without a, a basis in the thing. Did you deal with that as well? Yes, I did. And, and yeah, you know, it, it was really early on. It was, that was about three years before I joined. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and I have a different approach about, you know, openness. And, and so, so it took a while to regain the trust of the community. But I think like, uh, you know, I won't criticize the decision. And uh, what I would say that like, the most important thing is to uh, work with your customers, specifically your seeders, and, and, and together, and, you know, improve your offering. That's the way, that's my belief, by the way. Who, who do you see as your customer these days? Who's and the I core business for MakeFlat? Yeah, I think that, that's, that's what's changed, right? You know, back at the time, it was like, you know, let's bring three different things into the map, right? And, and then the maker community was, you know, was kind of the archetype of the consumer. But makers and consumers are a very different type of customer, <laughs> yeah. right? So, so I think that was, that was the first break. The first, uh, I would say, break in the strategy was like, you know, take a maker product and make it consumer. That doesn't work. Challenges, I'm a maker. I'm a developer, I do stuff myself, I enjoy it, you know? And, and I understand that it comes, by the way, with higher cost than if I would have to buy the product ready-made, whatever that is, and, and frustrations and problem solving, but also it comes with my kind of, uh, you know, involvement and, and, and uh, fun. And I, I accept it. I accept the quirks in the process and because that's part of it. Um, you know, and it's everything I do. Like I do like now a closet, I do like anything I do. You know, it's fun. But when you are a consumer, you don't want to deal with the problems. You want the product for, to work for you. And so that's a big, big, big miss that happened there. And taking a maker product and make it a consumer one, and that doesn't work. And, 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 and then there is another question, is there a consumer market for 3D printing? I don't think that because the technology is not mature enough. And all, hmm. and the use cases are not clear, and many many other things. So you know they're looking like it's a double down, and would say problem that we had to solve. First, taking this maker product into a consumer, and then is there a consumer market? Uh, which we discovered that it would be further down the road than uh, had that been planned for. It's it's interesting that a lot of people have did a similar path, right? They've all. I think generally people are like, they're kind of wary of this race to the bottom. Nobody wants to end up with like making a race to the bottom, really cheap printer. Um, so actually kind of everyone is kind of moving up market towards the enterprise, towards manufacturing. But does that mean you leave this whole area, this whole low cost area open? Yes and no. And, and I think this is where I think technology and, and we said about innovation and invention, this is where inventions and products uh, are uh, you know defining a market. The reason the prices are going up because to get the performance and to get the expected results and uh, takes a lot of uh, effort, time, and, and cost. And if you're not willing to pay for it, you'll get like a half-baked product. And, okay. and, and, and I think this is the reason. I think the reason there is no way to do something cheap and, and and I would say effective and efficient and actually working, you know, all of these makers and and, and I would say, you know, the, the the cheap printers out there, 
really don't produce parts that you would want to use as a, you know as an engineer or as a consumer. Um, so so I think there is no way other than that. Um, and 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 I think this is this is the challenge. That's by the way I think consumer three D printing is still down the road. And in order to get there, we need to first make sure that we are providing like uh, you know and 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 printers supposed to create parts this part has to function so if you can't deliver on the promise of the product then you know it doesn't matter if it's like cheap then you're selling a gadget not a product and this is what i think happened i think the market and and i said that like four years ago i defined the market as like you know gadget and product the current consumer-based products are gadget they're not real product they're fun and 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 there are, by the way, there are a lot of makers which have good printers out there that are using it, but it takes a lot of effort to make them work. And that's that's a different category. And, but the one that you buy in like you know two hundred dollars, and and you you know you, you plan to have it in your house and 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 print you know your broken IKEA knob, and that doesn't work. What happened is a lot of people sold this as being like a toaster for stuff. But it wasn't as reliable as your toaster. It didn't work. You know, your toaster works 100% of the time. This works only half of the time. And it was, yeah, like you said, it was much more of a struggle. So it was much more difficult. Um, but but are you working on a consumer level MakerBot printer, a $300 MakerBot? Or is that like, is that something you see like many years from now happening? Not many, not, you know, define many, but years from Five, now. Ten? Five, ten? <laughs> <laughs> we are working. I think Fair. What, what we're doing. And, and, our, and our path is very clear. First, we need to make sure that we have a product offering which is at par with professional-grade printers that can produce mm -hmm. real plastic parts. And this is why we launched the Metal Platform. Mm -hmm. The Metal Platform is the real sub-15K printer that is capable of printing real ABS, three-dimensional accuracy, in a heated chamber, with automation, and everything that you would expect from an industrial-grade and also in a very small footprint and that you, that you can, you know, print from the cloud. So we have the elements uh, uh, to get into what I call a functional 3D printer um, that can really produce ABS plastic parts. And, 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 you know, and the platform is so capable, it could print now, I don't know, 25 different materials from polymers, composites, and metals. So we can print on, 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 the, on the metal platform. We can print, you know, ABS plastic, PLA, uh, you know, carbon fiber uh, fuel material, and also right. metal. Uh, so, and I think now that once we reach that point, now we need to scale it down and cost it down and make it, uh, you know, available for others without compromising on two things, which is crucial for us. One is the fuse, uh, and the second thing is performance. So years from now, yeah, we can make that available for the masses. I'm, I'm curious, who do you see as the channel? I mean, I know at some point MakerBot explored with, with uh, more common channels, for, you know, Best Buy and stuff like that. Do you, would you still see that as the path to selling it? Or do you think it's more of an online kind of play? And I realize this is speculation and future gazing. You know, it's, it's an interesting question, by the way. It's, it's a relevant one. I'll, 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 I'll you know... I'll guide you through the my thought process. So as mm -hmm. I said, when, when, when we 
when I took on board, like we understood that like this, you know, taking a maker product into consumer doesn't work and consumer market, you know, doesn't exist. Okay. So we looked, you know, and then we did like a, you know, re-engineer of a product to market fit. And we identified uh, two main segments for us. One is education, and I'll speak about that. And the second is uh, what I call individual engineer. And, and we kind of went into a, a, a path to deliver products uh, to these two segments. And when we start to speak about education, this is like very adjacent to the maker world because, you know, in many schools and, you know, back in the days, there were also maker spaces, wood maker spaces, I don't know, like 15 years ago, right? Because there is the need to kind of educate kids in a different way, to make them more engaged, to make them understand yeah. learning in a different way. And 3D printing fits exactly into that place. Because, you know, I don't know if you ever went and you know, stepped into a class where the first time kids see like a 3D printer, you know, th- th- this, this, this is when, you know, the teacher doesn't need to hash them down. They're, 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 you know, the eyes are kind of wide open and they see that and they're engaged because, and, and, and I have my own personal experience with my kids. And, and when you take that and you make it into a learning experience, it's amazing. My kid came and not knowing, like the teacher didn't know I work for MakerBot uh, or, or, or run MakerBot. And, and, and my kid came with a, with a, a 3D printed boat um, in, in a public school in New York uh, where they learned how to design different buoyancy uh, shapes and, and had a competition about uh, which boat floats the best, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and I can tell you she is now older now and she remembers that this shape is you know, better than the other one. And, and that's because the learning experience that she had on that subject that could be very boring become you know, immersive and, 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 and engaging. So that's one segment that we work. And, and I think this is, this, is, this is an amazing, and by the way, it's an amazing, I would say, um, kind of a mission we have to really uh, reshape education. Education is, is an, definitely in, you know, last year was kind of, you know, even like, a, <laughs> an, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so, so but, but, but we know that like in general, kids are like, you know, are more, more interested in, in playing games and, and having, you know, you know, being on stream than, than learning through a presentational mode. And that's not the way they interact right now. So, Twitter really benefits great into that, and, and we see great traction on our product line with education. And the second thing is the individual engineer. Engineers that are developing and designing product want that agility. When you're designing and, and, and building a hardware product, it's always a cumbersome process because, you know, you have your digital file, your CAD file, and, and you plan and, and you do a lot of kind of assumptions. But if you want to get validation for your design, you have to touch it and you have to get others to touch it. You need to see if the, you know, if the knob is working. You need to see if that, you know, mouse argumentrics is, is okay. And there is no other way to do that. And what they're doing right now is they are kind of, you know, compromising because the iteration that they can make are expensive because they send it to, you know, a prototyping lab or into a local or internal service bureau. Uh, or low, an external service bureau, and it takes a lot of time and it's expensive. So we want to make hardware product development agile. And the only way to do that is to give the right tool to these engineers. And, and engineers that have it, and we know that because we develop products, 
cannot go back because once you design something during the day, you send it to print, you know, at 6 p.m. when you go home, you come next day in the morning and you have the part. And now you can say, hey, that's not the right thing or the bad thing and, and whatever. And you change your design. That's, you know, that, that's priceless. And this is like, you know, and, and we speak about where the world is going and where is the competitive edge. The competitive edge of economics and, and, and countries are about innovation. And, and this is how you foster innovation. You give your professionals the tools they need. And, 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 and a desktop professional 3D printer um, is what they need. But they are not willing to tinker with that. You know, someone told me like back in the days when we had other previous line of printers, take them away from here because my engineers are wasting time fixing it. On them, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, my engineers cost a lot. So, and, and I think... <laughs> So, and, 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 and this is kind of sunk into me when, when that was even prior, even to, to like three years prior to method. And, and, and you need to have a product that when you hit print, it prints. And, and when you get the result, it, you get there and it's fast and it's not slow. And, 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 you know, when you put a print like at the you know, end of day, you should expect to get it by the next morning. And, and, and you know, all of that guidelines set us to build the metal platform. But you also want diversity because you want one tool to have like, you know, to print different kinds of materials. You want a lot of things. So this is like the two audiences that we have and, and we developed two product lines for them. Is that, is that, and do you see that, that, that you're going to, if you're going to then go forward with these two product lines, is that, are you going to add like more and more and more different product lines? Or are you really going to focus very much on, on education and the individual engineer? So, so we, we are developing our product uh, with a platform approach. When we launched Method, and the first Method and, you know, had only two materials, and the chamber temperature uh, was limited to 55 or something. See. And a few months after, we launched an, another version of the, of the printer, of the platform, of Method, a Method X version, which had the chamber and temperature up to 100 C uh, and different materials. And then we, you know, a few months after we launched the method carbon fiber and then the, the, the metal. So this is how we, and, and by the way, during that path, we released like a few extruder lines and the MakerBot lab extruders. And, and, and we kind of launched cloud print capabilities and, and all of them are kind of backward compatible. When, when you take like, you know, the cloud print, it works with all of our, product. So the way we look into product development is like a platform approach. You build the core technology as one platform, and then you iterate and you give different versions uh, of the same platform. So this is how we see, uh, you know, our kind of uh, strategy going forward. And does that, and does that mean that, that, that okay, so, so you're, you're building this platform, you're going to expand this platform. And we have, uh, everybody has now a platform strategy, right? Or an ecosystem strategy to a certain extent. In your case, you're doing much more kind of with your own materials, with your own software. Do you think that's going to be limiting or do you think that people, that's what they want because it's going to, everything's going to work together? I think, by the way, we have partners. So it's like our material are being developed by our partners. So when we launched the MakerBot Lab partnership, we opened and the platform to others. And, 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 and right now, I think it's an open platform. And, and, but 
we worked with these partners, like you know, some of them, like you know, the metal and material provider is BASF, which is a huge and material company, and it does MIM and you know metal and fabrications or many many years, and and and, and we work with them together to develop the MakerBot and, and metal printing. So so. We, we, we look into that and, and we have six or seven different partners like that and uh, that work. And by the way, anyone is welcome to join our partnership. So we definitely don't think we want to control everything. And, and my approach, and, 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 and as I said, is not to close everything. On the contrary, I want to, you know, as you said, a platform play is only viable if you can uh, expand on your offering. And, 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 and the reason to build a platform is to regulate and to have others work with you to expand it. Of course, as I said, a more, the first thing we need to make sure is that we are providing a minimum threshold of uh, performance, right? So this is where I think like, um, you know, the difference between open source and, and open platform is. And open source, and there is no, I would say uh, guidance or governance. Uh, in our case, I think when an engineer is buying the machine, he has to know that like at least either the thing that are kind of completely open comes with a warning and, and the things that come from, from a different, from us or from our partners are meeting a set of, uh, I would say, threshold criteria. And we test a lot, you know, we spend months of testing. So, you know, we have a, a testing facility and uh, you know manufacturing and uh, in, in, in you know place where we test everything so i think this is where i think we should kind of uh, aim for because at the end we want to avoid the frustration of having like you know promises uh, which will kind of translate into false ones curious as to what's the structure look like now at makerbot is i mean you're owned by stratus but you guys operate independent or are you reliant on some of their systems or what, what is the relationship at this point? We are an independent subsidiary and mm -hmm. like in many ways. So like the majority of our operations are done and within, you know, the MakerBot and, and, you know, kind of team. And, but we have the backings and we have access and to strategies and that helps. So we can kind of benefit the, the you know both of uh, the best of both worlds. From 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 one end we have you know our own approach and and and, and agility and in processes. On the other hand, I think we are uh, supported and have access to whatever we need from from a bigger company. So I think um, that works very well uh, for us. It's really like you know interesting to see that like two different mindsets can coexist, and and I think this is how you you know, foster innovation. You need to make sure that, like, you know, you're not monochromatic, by the way, in everything. So um, we, we're all into diversity, including, like, our staff, uh, mm -hmm. but definitely joining uh, ideas and opinions. So it's, so it's good to have differences, but you can live in the same house. There is no problem with that. Yeah, so on the one hand, I mean, it's, it's you, you could avoid groupthink. You could have two different paths to market, two different brands. You could do experiment, right? So it could be really good, right? Uh, from a strategy viewpoint to have like two completely different offerings made by different people at the right. same time 
you know, you could risk maybe that the Stratasys somehow hamstrings you or being part of Stratasys kind of holds you back and you never really reach your full potential. What you just said, both were very smart things. I agree completely. Uh, and it's not because of Stratasys, it's because of, uh, by the way, the appetite for risk. And also it's about being public or not public, right? Yeah. So different, different levels of investment horizons. And, 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 and when you're a public company, I think uh, that kind of uh, you know, influenced your thought process. But I agree in terms of uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, the ability to attract different and, and, to, uh, and, and, and not to stagnate yourself uh, by having two offerings. And you know, there are from, from Facebook to Instagram, and, and you know, there are many, many ways that you need to hedge uh, you know, your bet into the market. Opposite. Yeah, because uh, it's interesting. Because from a strategy viewpoint, you know, you have a nice little market niche around, like, you know, I thought several thousand U.S. dollars. I'd say like three to six or something. I thought, uh, but if we look at it from a makerbot only perspective, hey, this is really wonderful world. Like you mentioned, the fifteen thousand dollar price point. Yeah, anything from about five to fifteen k is very underserved. You know, great. And I think, and and you know, there is there are two trends that are kind of. I would say agnostic technology, and that's the democratization, or you can say the commoditization technology. It all depends where you're at, and where I think something that was excluded in the past becomes cheaper and more available. And I think that 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 is happening right now in 3D printing. And, and, and that because specifically for FDM and others like, you know, but you see that in DLP, SLA, and, you know, all of the technologies that were like in the past were um, very, and I would say exclusive and become uh, more available. And, 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 and that's one thing that happens like, you know, from mainframes to laptops, right? So nothing, nothing new here. And, and, and as part of the hedging is to make sure that you are designing it and I would say in that way, and 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 you know I I'm saying it a lot of times like there is no way to when you have a, a an engineering or like over engineering mindset in DNA there is no way you can say oh, I'll cost it down that doesn't work like that it's proven uh, not to work and when you have the opposite direction when you're coming from the bottom and and you're increasing your capabilities and uh, that's easier uh, or more achievable because you're now I would say questioning and 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 uh, you know more critical about you know the features and the cost and the user value. So that kind of metrics of should I add that user that feature that the user are asking for that price uh, is something that we always think about. And also at the same time, I mean, okay. I think as FDM, there's still like a lot of room to grow there. Do, do you believe in manufacturing using desktop printers? Yeah, definitely I do. And, and it's not even in industrial printers. It's the same thing. I think, I think when you talk about 3D printing, you know, there are two use cases, like groups or like main use cases. One is prototyping, the other is manufacturing, right? They are adjacent to each other. And because at the end, you know, when you design parts, you want them to be produced. And and, and I think the same trend goes all the way in both use cases, both in production and in prototyping. And, and when we see, by the way, our printers, and which are kind of, you know, the medium tier, and the, I would say the low end engineering wise and kind of offering, we see them in manufacturing facilities. 
just because they are available and just because they can produce good parts. At the end of it, like it doesn't matter, and uh, you know the name or whatever. You have to be able to produce accurate and consistently and parts. That's it. And and if you can do that in a one million dollar, great. If you do it in a one hundred thousand dollar, better. If you do it in a ten k, amazing. So I think like that can happen. And, and I think once you have that, then of course there are you know sizes and there are you know, material abilities and and you know and 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 when you go into real production, then you want the repeatability, you want the throughput. So I see a very very interesting line where I think the capabilities that we are developing. And as again, as I said, and I'm keep on saying that with this low, uh, I would say, kind of uh, threshold that we're not crossing to be able to deliver a, a functional part and can be used in both prototyping and manufacturing. And we yeah. see that. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, re I'm really obsessed with this idea of like one off the low cost service bureau. So, this idea of somebody saying, you know what, I'm going to get like a Meltio printer or a laser metal innovations for metal or a one-click metal printer, right? Instead of like an EOS one. Uh, and then I'll get like, uh, I'll get maybe entry level, like I'll get Prusa, Prusa i3 printers and then, or desktop printers. And then I'll just start a low cost service row. That whole idea of somebody saying, I'm going to penetrate this market by using less expensive systems. It's like, I think it's really... I think it's very compelling to me, and I think it's I think, I think it's a question of time before something like that happens and disrupts the the kind of the more industrialized service bureau market. Yeah, but by the way, I completely agree. I think like I was in China, I think like two years ago, and 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 I walked into a facility that had a swarm of three uh, D printers and low end ones, uh, including ours, and and what these guys made were customized and serial clips. That you can buy on eBay, put your name, and and then and then they ship it and produce it for you. And there were like hundred. So so and, and, and okay, okay. I guess, so there's a market. <laughs> there's a market for the customized serial quick. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, but but the idea of like you know choosing to use and, and you know throughput is not only uh, you know throughput is the is the multiplication of the size in our case and uh, and quantities right so it's not only big if you, if you need to produce a lot of small clips then your highest throughput will be many small printers so yeah. it's all, all of that will happen i think but i think like what kind of is and held back the industry are two things one is i think the design side of things both for like you know the parts and definitely for manufacturing you know dfm how do you design for manufacturing? How do you kind of unlock the value of additive uh, into the parts design so it will justify the uh, incremental cost? Uh, because at the end, and you know, currently, I think additive manufacturing is more expensive than traditional ones, but it provides a lot of value. And by the way, it's more expensive on the part by part comparison. Uh, and but if you take all of the you know other variables, including, you know, far-fetched ones like the environmental cost, and then, then, then that gap uh, shrinks, but it's still a wider gap. So you need to justify it by, by design and value. And the second thing uh, is, is about 
you know, the performance. Once you, you know, once you have this experience when you bought, uh, you know, what I call a gadget and you print with it and it doesn't work or you're an engineer. And I had like many, many customer visits when I went there and I saw like a bunch of uh, printers of kind of, you know, in, in, in small graveyard in the corner of the, their offices. And they say, we try that and we try that. And, you know, these are like, you know, this is like, this is our 3D printing graveyard. And uh, so, so, and, and, and then, you know, and then, and when I come to them, this is a different thing. They, yeah, I say, you know, you see this guy, that, that, that's, that's the last that's guy. What he said. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so yeah. but, but it creates all the frustration in the market. So I think like for us, it's like, we need to make sure that MakerBot and our products are kind of, um, you know, are, are providing a certain degree of, uh, of performance and, and we cannot really allow ourselves and the industry to go back into this de-hype cycle because, you know, you can, you can, you can de-hype a cycle once, not twice. It's too painful. <laughs> to me, it's interesting that, that everyone always compares us to traditional industry. But for me, what I've always said is that, or not, uh, is like, we will 3D print the things that matter. So the things that are important or we'll materialize the things that matter, right? So it's not, we won't print the whole tennis racket. I'm never going to be able to make a tennis racket cheaper than, than I can do right now. But I'm going to print a damping agent or damping part on the tennis racket to make it more comfortable. Or I'm going to print the handle to make it customized to you, you know? I'll print the parts that matter. And if you're like, well, but I don't care about tennis rackets, so I'm not going to pay extra. Then I'm like, okay, then we're not going to do it for you. Then we'll only do it for other people. And like you said, with that, that example from China, it could be really niche products. I mean, maybe there's only a thousand people that want a customized tennis racket. Well, I can totally serve them with a web-based business that, that is just like custom handled tennis rackets. And I think to me, that's the profitable business models that we need to be pursuing. I mean, I'm, I'm a little tired of everybody wanting, well, I don't know. I, everybody's always so enthusiastic about trying to become a part of the automotive supply chain. But that's like a hell as far as I'm concerned. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm much more interested in, 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 in us trying to say like, no, no, we're a new way of making, we're a new way of doing business, we're a new way, a much more agile, like you said before, an agile way of making things. I think that, the, the, you know, manufacturing is big, and I think that people tend to think about with the, you know, it's easier for the masses and definitely for the media to think with the, you know, wider aggregations and innovation. Like, you know, it's, we have a replicator, right? So, <laughs> we, 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 we did that. It's good. It's easy to communicate. But, but when you look into the industry and, and when you kind of, when you, that's the reason I'm in the industry, it's amazing. Because, like, I, I, I started running in the pandemic because they shut down my pool. And, and, and apparently, I didn't know that I had some special, you know, you know structure of my feet. And, and, and I, I went to a place, they, and my feet, my, my foot, like with the, like both of them with kind of a, you know, a, an iPad with a, like a special camera. And right. then a few weeks after, I got my custom 3D printed insoles and that cost a lot. But for me, it saved me and I was willing to pay for it. So I agree. There is a value there. There is a value to get something. And, 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 and it's not that like I'm now trying to buy it, to buy you know, the, you know, an insult that I can get like from, from other Walgreens or whatever from off the shelf. That, that, I tried that. That didn't work for me. I bought six of them. And the end of it, like, you know, the six that I paid for, uh, you know, worked about the same as the one that was custom made for me. And none of them worked for me. And the custom made that was made for me did work. So at the end of it, I think value is, is how do you quantify value? And um, is the big, big um, part of us in the industry. And that we need to overcome 
and what you just said. If you want to buy this tennis racket, it is like everybody has and, and it's okay with you, great. No problem. If you want something that you need and then additive manufacturing, that's the only way to do so. And by the way, as more and more and more specific needs like that will come, I think it will drive the price down. And by the way, as more and more and more variables will add into the actual cost. You know, we saw what happened when our supply chain in the Western world broke a year ago, right? And and, yeah. and that was like, you know, so what what aren't you willing to pay the premium for additive manufacturing and as an insurance or something like that will happen? So how much how much are you willing to pay? How much of the part that you're buying are you willing to pay as an insurance, right? Five percent, ten percent? We haven't had that in our kind of uh, pricing mindset. It's because we said it's like you know, there is no need for such an insurance. Or there is no need for us to to uh, think about the logistics and the storage costs that that we need to have when we're when we're maintaining parts for you know let's say let's say like the you know the aerospace industry when you have planes that were made 50 years ago uh, that are still flying someone needs to maintain production <laughs> line for their uh, parts because you need to change that there is a schedule of changing all of the parts right so. Right. Where's that cost? Where's the cost of, you know, the, the carbon footprint of shipping everything? So, you know, it's like, it's, I won't get too philosophical here, but I think like in, in general, I think like um, additive manufacturing is really changing the way, could change the way we think about product in, in, in general. And, and I think this is, this is the, the big promise of the industry, but it will take many, many years uh, to, to get there. Is there uh, any particular innovation that you see as going to be the big game changer like once we figure out software is that the thing that you think is holding us back or is it the whole ecosystem that really needs to become more stabilized definitely software is crucial you know i come from software background definitely software both on the design side and on the i would say the management side yeah and has to change dramatically because you know the 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 printers that we design are harder product, but they were built like in the past. And but in my other hat, I build the software for Stratasys and and, and aka GraphCAD. So I'm I'm very very familiar with the challenges that we have as an industry and in software. And 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 I think like when you look into that, I think like it's kind of vectoral designing and you know manufacturing. And, and, and that's in parallel to what is happening in manufacturing because Industry 4.0 is a notion that is like independent of additive manufacturing, which all of the manufacturing and companies in the world are trying to think how do they make their manufacturing processes smarter. So, so you know, so when we look into additive manufacturing, it has to lead the way in that way. And the second thing is like when we have this ability to really look at parts being produced and, and have a lot of feedback into the actual uh, fabrication process, which we are limited to have in traditional manufacturing techniques. I think that's where I think it, we, can, we can bring value. But I think the main, main uh, barrier right now is designing privacy. You know, we have engineers all over our company and, and others, you know, you know, I'm I'm an old guy, and and, and I learned CAD, I learned CAD like many years ago. And, and and when you think how to design something, you know, you have 
many, many years of uh, subtractive thinking because you don't think that you can, you know, you build like any to do two parts. One is like that and the other is connected to this because that's the way you do that. When you think additive, no, this is one part. And, and you know the cost difference of uh, two parts versus one in the overall footprint of that, you know, product uh, life cycle cost? Amazing. It's amazing saving if you can just, you know, shorten then uh, like, you know, lower the number of parts that you have in your design. And, and additive can do that for you. I'm not talking about like other benefits like weight and, 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 and construction of things. So, so I think this is also something that like, you know, engineers today don't think. So, so like workflow and uh, DFM are kind of, I would say, what is kind of holding the, the industry. Right? Mm. And then where do you hope to be with MakerBot in, let's say, five years? And what do you hope to achieve? I think we are on the path to deliver, uh, you know, the, the initial promise of MakerBot. Uh, and, 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 and our tagline that hadn't changed is that there is an innovator in everyone. And, and I truly believe in that. As a maker, an innovator, as, as, as someone that grew up coding from the age of, I don't know, 13, um, creating games and stuff, uh, I know that the only way to unlock it is by providing the right tools. And the reason that I became a software developer was because my grandfather gave me a computer for my bar mitzvah at the age of 13. Right. So I had a tool. So I think in a few years, we will be able to deliver that low cost, professional grade, no compromise, easy to use printer uh, that can really unlock innovation. And, and I think this is, this is what drives me and this is what, uh, you know, it works. and that will change so many elements of our world. So, so, you know, we'll get there, I'm sure. Thank you so much, Nadav. That's, that's a great vision to look forward to. And thank you for being on the 3D pod today. Okay, thank you so much for having me. And uh, Max, thank you for being here. No, always, sure. And uh, thank you for listening. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of The 3D Pod. You've been listening to The 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint.com.